But I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And beginning tonight with verse 28, and we're going to read into chapter 8 and verse 3. Go to verse 3. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 28 and going into chapter 8 and verse 3. And the Lord's put in my heart uh, for tonight this word, and I want to share, I want to give it to you as the Lord has given it to me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. If you're there, give me a good amen. amen. And Matthew writing, and it said, and it came to pass... When Jesus had ended these sayings, and he was referring to the Sermon on the Mount, that the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I'll stop right there tonight. And I want to minister from this passage. I'm just going to use the words of Jesus from verse 3 when Jesus said, I will be thou clean. And even though he said that almost 2,000 years ago, I believe he's still saying the, th the same thing today. Hallelujah. To those who are spiritual lepers, to those who feel unclean, to those in bondage, to really to every person, sinner and saint, he says, I will, I am willing, I will be thou clean. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight in the name of Jesus. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the moving and operation of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence tonight, Lord, here. Lord, we would rather be in your presence, Lord, than have anything else. And we just thank you, Lord. God, I ask you for your anointing to minister for liberty and freedom of thought, Lord, and clarity of thought and speech. I ask you for anointing to rest upon us tonight and let the word become real to us. Let it be made real by your spirit. And God, we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, the Jesus' earthly ministry lasted for about three and a half years, as you probably know. But that three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry was the greatest three and a half years that this world's ever seen before. I mean, the greatest three and a half years that this world's ever seen before. I mean, the Word of God, the Word became flesh. And He dwelt among us for 33 and a half years, but three and a half of those years was in His ministry. And the world's never seen anything like it. The Son of God on this earth, in the, in his, in the flesh. Again, God in the flesh ministering, preaching, and teaching, and healing the sick. Jesus, the Son of God, he tabernacled among us, and the world's never seen anything like it. You know, when you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, though, and you break it down outside of, or that is besides the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is the main reason why he came to die. Hello? Amen? He came to die for us. But besides 
that main reason why he came, the earthly ministry of Jesus consisted primarily of three main things. It consisted, number one, of preaching. And preaching means to proclaim the word. It consisted of teaching. And teaching means to explain the word. And it consisted of healing and miracles. And that is the, that is the result of the word. Healing and miracles, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in operation, bringing healing to people's lives physically, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. And that's the pattern that Jesus gave us for the church. That pattern, you see that pattern continued in the book of Acts. Again, Jesus gave us, the church, the pattern to follow. Preach the gospel. Teach the gospel. And believe him and expect God to see the, the, to see the supernatural moving of his Holy Spirit, bringing healing in people's lives, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, relationships being healed. That's the pattern for the church, and that's the pattern that you and I as the church ought to follow. Amen. Follow the pattern. I think of Moses, and as God gave to Moses the, the pattern of the tabernacle, that God told Moses over and over and over and over again, Moses, follow the pattern. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern that I gave you on the mountain. Follow the pattern. And when you get to the end of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 39 and Exodus chapter 40, it's interesting that 17 times in those last two chapters of Exodus, as the tabernacle had been completed, the revelation had been given to Moses, and the tabernacle had been physically built by God's people, that it says 17 times that such and such was done. The, the, the Ark of the Covenant was built as the Lord commanded Moses. The veil was built as the Lord commanded Moses. The menorah was designed and built as the Lord commanded Moses. Seventeen times as the Lord commanded Moses. And you know what happened at the end of the book of Exodus? The Bible says that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Hallelujah. It filled the tabernacle. And they couldn't even go into the tabernacle for a while because the glory of God was so strong. You know what I believe? I believe that if you and I as a church, if we follow the pattern, if we preach Jesus Christ and am crucified, if we teach it, if we expect him to still heal the sick, and I believe that God will fill his house with his glory. Hallelujah. God is no respecter of persons. And he'll do it then, just, and he did it then, and he will do it now in today's world. Hallelujah. And, it said, and he gave us that pattern. And the Bible says that at this time in Jesus' ministry, which was toward the very beginning of his ministry, the great multitudes followed him. And not only were the great multitudes followed him, but the great multitudes were, they were following him because they were amazed. When you look at verses 28 and verse 29 of chapter 7, they were amazed at two main things. They were amazed at his doctrine, and they were amazed at the spirit 
or that is the authority or the anointing in which he spoke. Again, they were amazed at his doctrine or his message, and they were amazed at the, at the spirit, the authority in which he spoke, and that authority really spoke of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They were amazed, I mean completely amazed at Jesus, this man. He was completely different from anybody else, any other religious leader. There was nobody like this Jesus of Nazareth. He's not one of the scribes or the Pharisees. He's not, in, he's not one of the Sadducees. He's not even in the Sanhedrin. Oh, my Lord. He's not among the religious leaders. And this nobody from Nazareth, I mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? And this man from Nazareth is teaching this this message and with such a, a authority, with such an anointing, we've never seen or heard or felt anything like it. And the people were amazed. First of all, his doctrine. You know, the reason why is because, and we see it right within the Sermon on the Mount itself, beside the other teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. But Jesus' doctrine or his message, it emphasized God's righteousness rather than man's righteousness based on what he did again his jesus message his doctrine his teaching emphasized god's righteousness really being given to man by faith versus a righteousness in which man works and works and works and, and somehow gets to god he emphasized God's righteousness. Just for example, within the Sermon on the Mount itself, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And the word filled means satisfied. That means, and it implies faith there, that those who believe and those who hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God, they shall be filled and satisfied with God's righteousness. Not their own righteousness, but they'll be set. God will give his own righteousness, and those who hunger and thirst and believe will be satisfied with the righteousness of God. Matthew 5, 17 he said, think not that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. Mm. In reality, they were looking at the fulfillment of the law right there in front of them. In Matthew 5 and verse 20, he would say, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Jesus would say in Matthew 6 when he taught on prayer and he actually said three things that, that three things he said in which you do and, and when you do these three things, don't do it like the hypocrites. And, the, and, and people knew who he was talking about. The scribes and the Pharisees. He said when you pray, don't be like them. When you give, don't be like them. And when you fast, don't be like them. 
And Jesus made a clear distinction between the righteousness of God that he was giving to people and the righteousness that comes by man, his own works, and that the scribes and the Pharisees had. It was a self-righteousness. And then Jesus would say, in Matthew chapter 6, these words like this, he would say, don't worry about your life. Don't worry. Because your father knows what you have need of. Don't worry about your life. Because, why? Because your father, referring to God as the father of those who believe in Jesus, your father knows what you have need of. So don't worry about your life. Get this, the scribes and Pharisees didn't give that to people. They just heaped up more law and more religion and more do's and don'ts because that's what law does. That's what religion does. It weighs people down. But Jesus came to take that burden of religion and to take that burden of worldliness off of people's shoulders and to set them free. Hallelujah. He came for that purpose, and the people could feel that compassion. They could feel the love of God that flowed through Jesus, and with it the authority because he spoke the truth. And he said, don't worry about your life, but he said this, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. <laughs> God will take care of everything. Just put him first. Hallelujah. Just trust him. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry. And that's, that's what the message of Jesus was up to this point. And the people were amazed at it completely different of the religious world of that day. Again, they just put more, more burdens on people, burdens that even they themselves, Jesus said, couldn't carry. Laws that even themselves they couldn't keep. A self-righteousness that Jesus said, you got to have more than that to enter the kingdom of heaven. you got to have God's righteousness. And if you want it, just hunger and thirst, just trust him. And God will give you his righteousness. Again, a message, a doctrine that was totally different. And you know what? That was then, but the same thing applies today. I said the same thing applies today in the church. Not just in the world, but in the church. When you have a minister or ministers that get up and they preach the righteousness of God that comes by grace through faith in what Christ did at the cross, Unfortunately, it's a rarity, but it must be preached and it must be taught. Hallelujah. I said it must be preached and it must be taught because God's people need to understand what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. And it is a lie. It is naive at best to think that the church knows it all about the cross already. Hello? It is a lie. It is naive to think that believe, well, we already know about that. 
The church already knows about the cross. Why would you emphasize the cross? Why would you emphasize grace and faith and righteousness versus law? Why would you emphasize? We already know that. Well, it's naive to think that. It's naive to think that. The church needs to understand the cross. As well, the crowds were amazed at the anointing in which Jesus taught and which he spoke. Do you realize that the anointing makes the difference? The anointing of the Holy Spirit makes the difference. You know, the right message is critical, as you know. The message of Christ and what he accomplished for us at Calvary. That's not just the message by which we get in, it's the message by which we stay in. And we understand all that Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. We'll never arrive. Nobody graduates from understanding everything about Calvary. Actually, a billion years from now, we'll still be learning in your glorified body. There's still going to be some light bulbs going on. I just want to let you know, okay? A billion years from now. In your glorified body, some light bulbs will still be going off about the love of Jesus, about the grace of Jesus, about the victory of Jesus at Calvary. Hallelujah. Glory. It's inexhaustible. And the message, the right message is critical. It is critical for God's people to walk in victory. But also the anointing of the Holy Spirit is critical. Because it takes the anointing of the Holy Spirit to make the Word real to people. It takes the moving of the Holy Spirit to, to remove the veil off people's eyes. It takes the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit to get that truth across. It takes the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit in a nutshell basically is the moving of the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real. Sometimes you can feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you won't. But it is the anointing of the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus real to God's people. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, again, sometimes will make you shout. Sometimes it will make you dance because you realize what God's given you freely through Jesus. But sometimes the anointing, the moving of the Holy Spirit will just cause you to just shut your mouth and be quiet and just stand in the presence of a holy God. But we need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need so desperately. And the people, they realize that about this man Jesus from Nazareth who had not been trained in the rabbinical schools of the rabbis and the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leadership. He, he didn't go that route. But yet he was speaking with an authority. And that authority was the anointing that they didn't have. And tonight, you and I as individuals and you and I as the church corporately, we desperately need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Understand this about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When I'm referring to the anointing, I'm referring not to the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not referring to that aspect of the, of the anointing. John tells us in 1 John that every, in every believer there is the anointed one who lives on the inside. 
That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. What I'm referring to is in, and, uh, that moving, that unique moving of the Holy Spirit. In church, sometimes, many times you can feel it. It's the manifest presence of God. I said it's the manifest presence of God by his Spirit. Again, that makes Jesus real. We need that. And understand this about that aspect of the anointing, that you and I cannot earn it, you and I cannot merit it. It is a free gift given freely through the shed blood of Jesus. One is not given the anointing because they call themselves a Pentecostal. One is not given the anointing because they even associate with Pentecostals or Charismatics. It has nothing to do with that at all. The anointing of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is given. It's a free gift given freely through what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And it's given to those who will believe and those who will ask him. (laughs) Because in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said this. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, then how much more will your heavenly Father, he said, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And he was not talking about getting saved. He was talking to believers who already have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But believers asking God and believing him, God, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. God, send the power of your Holy Spirit. God, send the power of your Holy Spirit. Send it in Wednesday night. Send it on Sunday morning. Send him on Sunday night. Send him in the prayer meetings. Lord, when I go home, I need the anointing. God, when I'm at work, I need the moving of your Spirit. Need it. Need your anointing. Mm. I need your anointing. God gives it to those who believe and those who will ask him. And God's not partial. Give it to everyone, to everyone who asks. It will be given. To everyone who seeks, you'll find. To everyone who knocks, it will be open. God's not partial to the young or the old. Well, I, well, I know what I remember when I, was, when I was early in my earlier years, and I'm, I'm still young, but that is a, age is such a relative thing. I'm, 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 40, I'm 41 to 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds. I'm like an old, I'm like old. I'm like, wow, he's like 41. Oh, my goodness. But beside with the swagger, I'm like just a baby coming out of the womb. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I told him the squire at one time he's he's old enough to be my great 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 great. No, I just I was just I was just joking with him. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. <laughs> they just. But I used to think in my younger days that, oh, I had to, oh, maybe, maybe when I grow up and get it just older in life, then, then I'll have the anointing. But get this, God's not partial to age. Oh, come on, some of you young people here. Hello, young people. Hallelujah. God's not partial to age. 
Come on now. He'll anoint the five-year-old. He'll anoint the 15-year-old. 25, 35, 70, 85. It doesn't matter your age. He's not partial. If you believe and you ask him, and keep on asking and keep on knowing that it's not through you and your working. It's through the gift that he gave to us at Calvary. I used to think myself that I could earn. I used to hear stories of John G. Lake and many other great Pentecostal pioneers. And John G. Lake in particular, at one time he prayed for, he was in South Africa planting churches. One time he prayed for eight hours and he came out of his prayer closet and Witnesses say that he had just, a, there was a glow about him. And I heard stories like that back in the early 90s. And just being young men I, and really not understanding, I, had no, I didn't understand grace and law issue. I didn't understand the cross for sanctification. And so I interpreted that story this way, that if it took John G. Lake eight hours to get it, then I'm willing to put eight hours in, like a time clock, hello, to get the anointing. Because if you don't understand the cross for sanctification, if you don't understand his grace for today, not just when you got saved, but his grace for today, then what will happen is you and I and any believer, doesn't matter how sincere we are, doesn't matter how much we love God, we will end up going the route of thinking that we can earn it. How many have done that before? You tried to earn something from the Lord. But he has to teach us, and many times we, we have to learn the hard way that God doesn't have, he doesn't give out anything because of our doing, just being good, a, a brownie point system. Everything that God has, including the anointing of the Holy Spirit, is a free gift given freely through the shed blood of Jesus and our dependency and what he's done for us. It's his grace. It's not us. And the crowds were there, and they were mesmerized. They were amazed at his doctrine, amazed at his, at his the anointing. The Bible tells us that the crowds were there, and in verse 1 it says multitudes followed him, and, and that multitudes, that, the multitudes, there could have been several thousand people. Most likely it was several thousand people. At one time, we do know Jesus, when he fed the 5,000, that, that crowd, when he, when he fed the 5,000 with the two loaves and with the two fish and five loaves, that would have been most likely 15,000 people in the crowd that day. When you include women and children, imagine that type of crowd. And Jesus probably had something close to that here. And he's done with the Sermon on the Mount, and the people are just astonished, and they're surrounding Jesus. Several thousand people surrounding Jesus. And as several thousand people are surrounding Jesus, there's this leper. <laughs> that breaks through the crowd and falls before Jesus and starts worshiping him. Get this, that leper was not supposed to be there. But the leper broke all protocol to get to Jesus. Hallelujah. He broke all protocol to get to Jesus. And on top of that, even coming to Jesus with all the crowd there, 
He should not have done that. You know, the law stated that lepers were to stay away from people. The closest that they could come to people was approximately around 100 feet. It's about 33 yards for all you that are thinking about football right now. So the closest that they could come, that the leper could come to Jesus was about a little over 30 yards, 100 feet. That's a good space. And when they came in contact with people, he had to put a cloth over his mouth and yell, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because by the law, that leper was unclean in the eyes of God unclean to the people. And when they would come within that area, they were to do that, stay away from people, at least, again, a minimum of 100 feet. Yell unclean, because leprosy was a highly contagious disease. It would eat away at a a person's body. Sometimes lepers would have toes and and parts of their face, their ears, and, and nose and lips, and that would be eaten off because of this disease. Highly contagious. But this, and lepers also were, not only were they ceremonially and unclean by the law, but they were outcasts of society. Most of the time they were disfellowshipped from their own families and friends. They had to stay by themselves outside, in a sense, outside of the city, outside of the camp. But this leper heard a man, and he sensed something in Jesus that he had never felt before. And he became so desperate. And he realized that this Jesus of Nazareth, he realized that he could heal him and make him whole. And because of that, he broke all protocol just to get to Jesus because he was desperate for Jesus. Get that tonight. He was desperate for Jesus. It's hard for us to comprehend because we're not in that society or that culture. But he broke all protocol to get to him because he knew that Jesus could make him whole. Realize this tonight that you and I, it doesn't, you and I as a child of God, you and I need that same type of desperation in our heart. That if protocol, even if protocol, nothing wrong with protocol and program, but if protocol keeps us from getting to Jesus, then we'll have to put protocol aside because we need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. Hello. I said we need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's what was flowing in the heart of that leper, that unclean leper. What was flowing in his own spirit and his heart was, I need to get to Jesus. I need to get to Jesus. And no doubt the people must have saw him, and there would have been, I tell you, there would have been like the parting of the Red Sea when that leper showed up. When that leper started walking toward Jesus, people started probably stepping aside. But he was desperate. And he believed. Get this, for you and I as a child of God, it doesn't matter if you and I have been saved a day or if, you got, you, if we've been saved for, for 50 years, that, that type of desperation ought to mark our life. 
it ought to characterize our own life. I need him, and there's nothing that can stop me, nothing in this world, even family, nothing can stop me from getting to Jesus. I need him. I need him. I need him. I need the Holy Spirit. I need him. And I believe that he can heal me. I believe it. And he came and worshiped Jesus. I can't even imagine what the crowd, the crowd would have happened. The crowd must have just split. If they would have known anything about that, they probably would have ran that 33-yard dash in three seconds, just getting away from this leper. And this leper wasn't supposed to do that. It broke protocol. But again, he was desperate for Jesus. And that leper, when he came to him, worshiped Jesus and fell at his feet. And he said this to him, said this to Jesus in verse 4. He said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can't make me clean. In simple layman's term, it means, Lord, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Get this, that leper fully believed that Jesus could heal him. And when you look at that word clean in verse 2, I know this means nothing, it's, it's, it's Greek, and it may be Greek to you, but it's, in the, it's what's referred to in the Greek as an aorist infinitive, which what all, in layman's term, what that means is that even this leper believed this, that Jesus could make him completely clean, whole, once and for all. He believed that. Jesus, when, he, when, he, when the leper said, you, if, thou, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The big question for the man was, well, Jesus, if you're willing, I believe that you can do it. But Jesus, would you clean, would you heal, would you make whole somebody like me? Somebody unclean? Like me, we don't know, but that leper might have had some fingers missing. He might have had his face deformed from that leprosy. We're not sure. But he was unclean, and he was out of place. But he believed that Jesus could heal him. The big question was, Lord, if you're, are you willing? He said, Lord, if, would, would you, if you're willing? And the question, the thought was, Lord, would you clean would you make whole, would you heal someone like myself? Get this, there are people in this world. Maybe you're in this auditorium tonight, maybe you're watching by television, and you thought that same thought. Would Jesus heal? Would Jesus save somebody like me? An addict? Someone who is a, an addict to drugs or alcohol or pornography? someone who's in bondage or someone who is an abuser? Would he heal someone who has been abused and been violated? Would Jesus do anything with me? The answer that Jesus gave was yes. I will be thou clean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His answer was, yes, I will. I will. There is no addiction that Jesus cannot break. 
There is no perversion, no bondage, no sin. There's nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot do. And there's nobody that he will reject if they'll just come to Jesus by simple faith and desperation. If you want him, his arms are open wide. I think it's no coincidence that on the cross, Jesus didn't die like this. But Jesus died with his arms open wide because he welcomes all. It doesn't matter what you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. Now, that's the unsaved. And it doesn't matter how deep in sin an unsaved person, but this also applies to the believer. In the, even the believer, maybe some here tonight, that you know the message of the cross. You love Christ. And the message of the cross has brought such deliverance in your life to a certain extent, but there's still possibly some bondages there or a bondage that's there. And you struggle with it possibly for years or months or more, whatever. And the devil's lied to you and said, there's no hope. You'll never change. It's always going to be like this. Jesus won't do it. Hear me tonight. That's a lie from Satan. Because Jesus' answer to everyone who comes to him is, I will be thou clean. Hallelujah. His answer to you was, I will be thou clean. His answer to everyone, if they come, if we come in simple faith, in a faith that won't, that won't allow the crowd to get in the way, they even won't allow religion to get in the way. I just need Jesus. Jesus, will you make me clean? Jesus' answer is, I will be thou clean. And the Bible says that immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately, singers, musicians can come back. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Which, get this, what that means is not only was he somehow ceremonially clean in that sense, but that was true, but get this, every effect of that leprosy was healed. If he lost a finger, that finger was restored just like that. Hello? If he had lost an ear, that ear was restored. If he had lost a, a toe or uh, uh, it was eating his arm, that, that was re completely restored. Immediately he was made whole. Only Jesus can make us whole. Hallelujah. That leprosy is a type of our own sin. And there's no sin that's too great for Jesus. There is no bondage too great for Jesus, for the blood of Christ. The devil is a liar. Jesus' response is, I will. Be thou clean. Doesn't matter how great the leprosy is. Doesn't matter how bad the, the bondage may be, the mental bondage, and maybe nobody else knows about, but it's a continuing war in your own mind. And again, the devil's lied to you and said, I guess it's never going to change. That's a lie. 
If you keep looking to Jesus, you keep trusting in Jesus, don't give up on the promises of God. I said, don't give up on the promises of God. He said, I will, I will be thou clean. Hallelujah. And he'll never turn away someone who's desperate. That victory is coming. And get this, when that man came to Jesus, when that man came to Jesus, from really from the moment that that leper came to Jesus and believed, hear me tonight, from the moment that he broke through that crowd and came to Jesus and believed, his healing was secured. I said, I believe his healing was secured. And Jesus He said, I will, be thou clean, and he touched him. You know, according to the law, if you touched a leper, you were now unclean. But I love what Bill Swagger put in the expositor. See, Jesus, he said, I will, be thou clean. And before his hand ever touched the leper, that leper was whole. (laughs) Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Before he ever touched him, he said, I will be made whole. Boom. And Jesus, when he touched him, he didn't touch an unclean person. He touched a person that that was whole, that was clean. Do you need to be cleaned up tonight? Do you need to be made whole? You know, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but you know, I just feel it in my heart to take just a moment to give, an invi- to, to give an invitation to anyone that might be here or might be listening by radio, watching by television, that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you might be like that leper. You might be like that leper. The only question you have is, will he? And the answer is yes, he will. He'll save you, forgive you of your sins, and make you whole. And I'm just going to ask all of you here, if you can just repeat this prayer to me, and I'm going to, if you tonight, if you need Jesus Christ, and you might be here in this auditorium, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You don't know him. It's not the prayer that will save you, but it's you just simply believing. And if you're watching by television, It's you just believing in your heart, and he'll make you whole. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll make you whole in every way. Just say this prayer up to me. Would you please repeat it with me tonight? Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I know that I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he's the Son of God, and that he rose from the dead. And right now, I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to forgive me, to change my life. And right now, I accept you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my my healer. healer. And right now, now, I believe believe that I am saved. saved. I have been cleansed cleansed 
I've been made whole. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise tonight. Hallelujah.